Proverbs chapter 28, verses 13 and 14. Let's read them in unison, uh, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. Proverbs chapter 28, verses 13 and 14, the Word of God says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's eternal. It's just as real and relevant in 2020 as it was uh, years ago when it was penned. And Lord, thank you that it still works in our lives. Your word works. And I pray today we'd have ears to hear, that we'd submit ourselves to it. We would on purpose ask you and seek your will for our lives through this message today. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to have hard hearts and that we would be soft and tender and yielded towards you and give us instruction in the matter we speak of this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We only read two verses. Our text this morning is only one short verse. Uh, But as I was studying for this message, and the Lord took me on this topical journey I'm going to take you on, I realized that this one verse could lead to many hours of sermon. And so we can either just have one long sermon that's like four hours long this morning, which I don't think any of you would be opposed to, uh, or we could break this up a little bit and go from there. Uh, I'm kidding, of course, some of you are like, four hours? And uh, you sleep through the sermon anyway. It just means a longer nap. But uh, not going to spend a a long time this morning because we're going to break this sermon up into two parts. I have another sermon planned for this evening, but the Lord this morning began speaking to me about rather than rushing through this, taking a a couple messages. So we may finish tonight or we may push the rest on till next week. I have a feeling that we're going to finish tonight. But uh, either way, I think that this entire subject is something that's going to benefit our lives uh, thoroughly. The Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Think about that. All of us want to prosper, don't we? Do you want to be successful? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be happy? Well, the Bible says the way to short-circuit that is if you start covering your sin. Then it says, But whoso, that means anybody, God's not a respecter of persons, But if anybody confesseth and forsaketh them, that's the sins, they shall have mercy. Now, if God gave you the choice between mercy or chastisement, I think that we would all pick mercy. If he gave us the choice between grace and judgment, I think that we would pick grace. So the Bible here is very clearly telling you, listen, if you cover your sin, it's not going to go well. You will not prosper. But the way to prosper and even have mercy from God Uh, is to confess and forsake your sin. Then the Bible goes on to say in verse 14, Happy is the man that feareth always. That fears what? That fears coronavirus? That fears the state of the world? That fears the unknown? No, that fears God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. And so here we see this uh, idea uh, in the same thought, that fearing God departing from evil, confessing and forsaking our sin, is a way to happiness. But he that hardeneth his heart 
shall fall into mischief, just like the special song talked about today. To have a heart of stone, our heart can get hard. We can become insensitive to God. We can stop listening for His voice. It's like the child that knows the parent is talking, but they're really not paying a lot of attention. Uh, And we can be like that with God, where we know God is speaking, but we're just not listening. We're just not, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. I know, I know. Uh, Well, we don't want to get that way with God. Why? Because that path leads to mischief. So here we have uh, prospering or not prospering. We have judgment or mercy. We have happiness or mischief. Which would you rather have? The choice is clear, isn't it? And all of these things revolve around one word, and that is sins. The sins in our life, what we do with our sin is going to determine our happiness or our harm. It's going to determine our judgment or mercy. It's going to determine success or failure. What are you doing with the sin in your life? Now, all of us have sin in our lives. Have you been tempted to sin this week? Of course. Have you had to confess any sins to God recently? Of course. Hopefully you did this morning, because they're there whether you confessed them or not. Amen? Everyone knows that sin is bad. And if you've come, been coming to our church very long, we know that sin destroys. Sin kills everything it touches. It kills your soul, it kills your life, it kills your relationships, it kills your potential, it kills everything. The wages of sin is death. Now we know that sin is bad, but few people know what to do about it. And in the scriptures, with this message, I want to teach you eight actions that God expects Christians to take towards sin. So I've got sin in my life, what do I do about it? God says, here's eight things to do with your sin. If you do these eight things, you'll be blessed. If you don't do these eight things, you won't be blessed. You will not prosper. So last Sunday night, we talked about a Christian's attitude towards sin. And that's online, a video and audio. I encourage you to go watch it if you missed it, because it's so important. You've got to win the battle of your mind before you win the battle of your hands and your feet. Uh, But then after that, not only our attitude towards sin, but what should the Christian's actions towards sin be? So when I recognize a sin in my life or I see a sin in my life, now I know what to do. I've got to start going through these things, these eight things, to get this sin out of my life and please the Lord. Sin is ubiquitous, isn't it? It surrounds us. You turn on the TV, you see sin. You listen to people, you hear sin. You turn on the radio, you hear sin. You watch the news, it's sinners making up sins. You know, it's like everywhere you go, it's just sin everywhere. And then sometimes the most deflating thing is we look inwardly and sin is there too. Sin surrounds us. Its siren call beckons our corrupt flesh. Then sin's proponents declare its false virtues and sing its satanic praises. There's people in this world that try to convince you that what God says is sin is not sin. Matter of fact, it's virtuous. It's the right thing to do. And they're false prophets of sin and destruction. We are sinners living in a world of sin. And the only way we can live like Christ is to follow His word in regard to sin. I have to know what God tells me to do with the sin in my life if I'm going to live for Him. 
Now, the Christian's actions towards sin can be summed up in two words from our text verse. Confess and forsake. Every action that I'm going to show you from the Scripture is founded upon those two words. Confession and forsaking. The Bible says, But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So I want you to memorize this verse, write it down. Some of you probably have. If you don't have this verse memorized, write it on a three by five card this week. The way I usually memorize is, is I'll take a three by five card and on the side, if it's got lines, I'll write down the verse, Proverbs 28, 13. I'll write out the verse on the other side. I'll write Proverbs 28, 13, just that. And I'll pull it out, Proverbs 28, 13. And until I get it, I'll memorize it. And then I can review by simply pulling out the card, seeing Proverbs 28, 13, and then I can recall it to mind. And if you do that regularly with verses, we ought to be memorizing verses every week. You can have a stack of cards that you're just running through that you can uh, go through Proverbs 28, 13, John 3, 16, and you're reciting those, uh, keeping them in, in your mind, in your heart, on the front burner. We need to have God's Word in us, amen? It should be dwelling in us richly. And so uh, every action we're going to talk about can be summed up in these two words, confess and forsake. But the Bible builds upon these core concepts giving us eight actions that we should take toward the sin in our lives. Again, I'm not going to finish the message today. I'm going to give you uh, some of these, and then we'll go to the house to ponder them and come back later this evening. All right, so let's, let's dive in. Number one, what should we do with sin? Sin should be acknowledged. Sin should be acknowledged. Now, we're going to come back here, put something here, Proverbs 28 13, because we're going to go back and forth. But I want you to turn to Psalm 51. We're going to look at many verses in the Scripture, and I just want you to love God's Word. I mean, I just want you to love it. Uh, God's Word is not grievous. It's beautiful, and it's wonderful. These are the words of life. And so what should we do with sin? In Psalm 51, we see David after the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and after the murder of her husband Uriah. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, Thou art the man, David gets right with God. And we see his prayer of penitence here in Psalm 51. He's getting right with God. He's pouring out his heart. And by the way, any time that you get into sin or, or you, you need to take a, a little bit of time with God to make some things right, it's a good idea for you to go to Psalm 51 and pray through it personally. Take the words and pray through it as you are saying them from your heart. It's a very powerful exercise because we see in here uh, the wonderful truths of, of how to come back to God. And We'll look at a few of these verses over the time of the message, but for now I just want to look at Psalm 51 and verse 3. Let's read it together. Ready? For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So the first step that we should do with sin is acknowledge it. He said, I acknowledge my transgressions. Before you can confess sin and before you can uh, forsake sin, you must acknowledge your sin. You must admit that it's there. You can't fix it if you don't claim it. And before sin can be acknowledged, it must be recognized to acknowledge means to recognize the existence of. Think about that. To recognize the existence of. 
How many have tried to witness to somebody before and you're trying to give them the gospel and you'll come to the first point that we try to teach them is that they're a sinner. Amen. If you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a savior. So in order to get saved, people have to recognize they are a sinner. They have to acknowledge their sin. But how many of you have said, uh, do you believe you're a sinner? And they'll say, oh, no, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Now, I never thought that because my mom taught me when I was very young I was a sinner, right? And she had multiple ways to remind me that I was a sinner and to try to drive the sin from me. Uh, And so I I never had that attitude. Oh, man, I'm perfect. I've never done anything wrong. I knew I was a sinner. Matter of fact, it's like, what'd you hear? You know, uh, who's talking? Who told you? Uh, No, of course we're sinners. The Bible teaches that every human who's ever been born other than Jesus Christ is a sinner. Uh, Now, let's look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John, all the way in the back of your Bible. Beautiful book, teaches us how to know for sure we're saved. And John chapter 1 is a wonderful foundation of, of salvation and life after salvation. Look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So this is if we say that we don't have any sin in our lives today. If I say, you know what, I haven't sinned today. I haven't sinned in a while. The Bible says I'm deceiving myself. You're lying to yourself. There's a Christian theology that says if you follow Jesus closely enough that you can get to the place here on earth where you won't sin anymore. And the Bible teaches that while that is a worthy goal, that's not a fact. As long as you and I are robed in this flesh, this flesh is corrupt. It wants to do the old things. Now the goal is we will never be sinless here on earth but we will sin less than we used to. And the truth is, some of you saints of God, you're so close to God that we can look at your life and we don't see any sin. Right? Maybe I don't hear you say things you shouldn't say. I don't see you. I can look at your life. I mean, Brother Ken's like a cherub over here. You know, he's like floating above the the throne, singing holy, 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 and just comes to church at Curtis Corner on Sundays, you know? And some, some of you saints of God, it, it looks like, well, I don't see any sin. Oh, but you know, right? Because the easiest sins to clean up are the sins on the outside. The hardest sins to deal with are the sins of the mind and heart. And so we must confess the fact that none of us are perfect. We're on the road to perfection through salvation. And one of these days we'll be glorified where God takes our souls and we drop this robe of flesh. And in heaven there will be no sin there and you and I will be sinless. And we'll talk about, I was going to talk about it tonight, but it'll probably be a future message. That This idea of regeneration, such a beautiful uh, salvation doctrine. There's a part of you, if you're born again, there's a part of you that can't sin. But that part of you that can't sin is wrapped in this sinful flesh that wants to sin. But man, you have a part of you that can't sin. But that's why we have that daily battle every day. Amen. Galatians chapter 5. 
the battle between the spirit and the flesh. You want to do right, but you find it hard to do right. Why do you do things you know you shouldn't do? Why do you not do the things you know you should do? It's that battle between the spirit and the flesh. And so if you were to say today, I have no sin in my life. The Bible says very clearly that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You don't know the truth. We're lying to ourselves. But then the Bible uses another phrase in verse 10. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, now the construction here is important. Verse 8 talks about, I have no sin presently. Verse 10 says, I have never sinned. I have never had any sin in my life. The Bible says that we make him, that's God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So if we say that we have never sinned, we are calling God a liar and exposing our ignorance of his word, right? So we have sinned, and then today we may not have the same old sins we used to have, but we still have sin in our lives today. And the way we deal with that sin, the first thing we must do is to acknowledge our sin. We identify our sin. We recognize our sin. Lord, I have sin in my life. Or that thought was a sin. Those words were a sin. What I just did was a sin. And then God's law allows us to recognize what sin is. Now, we spent some time on this in a previous message, so I won't belabor the point, but the Bible defines and decries sin. Mankind is not a good judge of what is or is not a sin. You and God will disagree. There are many people that think immorality is totally fine, but if you pollute a river, you're a sinner. You know, if, if, if you curse someone out and hate something, hate someone or hurt somebody, that's okay. But if you said something 30 years ago that wasn't politically correct, you must be destroyed. It just doesn't make any sense. To further the problem, it's easier for us to recognize the sins in other people than it is to see my own sin. Right? So we tend to be way too easy on ourselves and way too hard on others. And so we must acknowledge our sin. And it's the law of God that exposes sin. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And the law of God, like the Ten Commandments, reveals what actions and attitudes God calls sin. Why do you think the devil's worked so hard to take the Ten Commandments out of public life? Because if you don't know the Ten Commandments, you don't know what a sin is. You say, well, why is lying wrong? Because God said so. Why is adultery wrong? Because God said so. Why is coveting wrong? Because God said so. Why is idolatry wrong? Because God said so. And that's the foundation. God has the authority to tell us what's right and to tell us what's wrong. And you say, well, I don't agree with God. Then you've got a problem. Because then you're not acknowledging your sin. Without the law, we don't know what sin is. So the first step in dealing with our sin is God wants us to acknowledge our sin. And to acknowledge sin is to recognize it in our lives. 
let me encourage you. Be brutally honest with yourself about your sin. Don't use soft words. We tend to use harsh words with others about their sin as we excuse our own. You know, you cuss someone out and it's like, well, I just had a bad moment. No, you cuss somebody out. I'm just having a rough day. You cuss somebody out. You know, you lay your hands on somebody in anger. Well, you know, they did this and they did this. You laid your hands on somebody in anger. It's wrath. It's anger. Well, you stole. Well, you know, it's just a small thing. You stole it. You thieved it. You broke God's law. And we have to learn to just acknowledge our sin. Well, well, well you know, I just, I'm, I, I have, uh, I'm an alcoholic. Well, the Bible uses the term drunkard. You say, well, that's a hard term. It is. But until you're willing to look at yourself and say, I have a problem, you'll never be able to fix it. You have to call it what it is and recognize it and say, this is sin. Use the Bible word, call sin what it is, and ask God for the help to conquer it. Amen? And the first step to dealing with sin is to acknowledge it. Number two, what should we do with sin? The Christian attitude towards sin. Number two, sin should be confessed. Sin should be confessed. Remember our text verse, Proverbs 28, 13. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. Look at Job chapter 23. Let me just interject that I don't think talking about sin is a bad thing. You know, there are preachers out there in churches where they don't talk about sin. They say things like, well, the people are having such a hard time. You know, I think if we just talk about sin, it's going to bring them down. And we just need to talk about love and grace and, and happiness and joy and how to be your best self, you know, in 10 steps to, to be more happy today. And while those types of sermons have their place, my friend, the reason why people are so unhappy is because of sin. And we have to cry against sin so that people turn to the Savior. And if we don't recognize what's killing us, then we can never live. So sin must be confessed. And don't look at this as a, as a down message. This is a very helpful concept and idea. We acknowledge sin so we can get help with it. All right, number two, sin should be confessed. Look at Job chapter 33. And verse 27, Job thirty-three twenty-seven. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited, uh, profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Isn't that beautiful? And so the Bible says sin must be confessed. The... <clears throat> This verse reminds us that God is looking for people who confess their sin. Confession is the beginning of forgiveness, and without confession, there is no forgiveness with God. <clears throat> and so here, God's looking for people to say, I have sinned. And so not just to acknowledge the presence of it, but then to own it. I have sinned. When we speak of confession, we're not speaking of the false doctrine that some 
religions like the Catholic Church and other Protestant churches teach that you must confess your sins to a human priest so he can absolve your sins. That type of confession is not found in the Bible. You can walk through every room in this building, you will see no confessional booth. It is a false doctrine for you to believe and for someone to teach you that you have to go talk to a man and you tell him your sins and then he decides whether or not you can be forgiven. That is utterly, completely, totally unbiblical. Not one ounce of truth in it. It is impossible for me to overstate how wrong that doctrine is. Only God can forgive sins. And our confession must be made to God through Jesus Christ. He is our high priest and the only mediator between God and man. Forgiveness only comes through Christ. Amen. And you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 for some verses on that. So now back to this doctrine of confession. God is looking for people to confess their sin. But confession is more than a statement of fact. Confession is more than a mere acknowledgement of, yeah, I have sin in my life. Confession is, des- is defined by Webster's 1828 dictionary as, I love this, what does it mean to confess? To own to acknowledge, to declare to be true, to admit or assent to in words, opposed to deny. Confession means I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to fight against it. I'm not going to blame anybody else. I'm not going to tell you all the reasons why I own it. It's my fault. I have sinned. Now, I have sinned, but they, you ever notice when people apologize? I'm sorry, but, I try to teach people that if you add a but to your I'm sorry, it's no longer an apology. I'm sorry, but you, I'm sorry, but she, no, I'm sorry, period. Because regardless of what anybody else did, I am a free agent. God has given me free will. Nobody made me do anything. And you own your reaction to someone else's sin. Well, they started it and you continued it. Responsibility is your ability to respond. And we have the responsibility, regardless of whatever's going on around us, to live a holy and sanctified life. And if we don't, what we should do with our sin is to own it, to confess it. More than to acknowledge it, but to declare it to be true, to agree with God and not deny it. See, it's human nature to hide sin, isn't it? That's why most people don't rob a bank at noontime. A few people do because they're exceedingly ignorant. But most people do the dirty work at night. Why? It's their tendency to hide sin. Most people, after they sin, they try to cover their tracks. It's human nature to hide sin. Sinners deny their guilt 
and their sin. Sometimes they'll even blaspheme God and deny His word in order to remain righteous in their own eyes. You ever seen somebody do that? But Christians must learn a different way. Remember our text verse? If you cover your sin, you will not prosper. That word cover literally speaks about concealing. It has the idea of a bulge underneath a piece of clothing. It's trying to hide something, but you're not doing a very good job of it because God still knows it's there. And we as Christians have to overcome the impulse to hide our sin. We must recognize it and we must confess it to God immediately. There's many verses that talk about this uh, in the scriptures. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, Luke eleven four, he says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. In the Lord's Prayer, the Savior taught us to pray for forgiveness every day. Now it's important you understand this isn't the prayer of salvation. <clears throat> salvation is a one-time, instantaneous event likened unto a birth. Now, for those of you ladies who've given birth, it may feel like it took forever, amen? Some of you were in labor forever. But eventually the baby's born, and once it's born, it doesn't need to keep being born. It's born. It exists. And salvation is a one-time, instantaneous event. When you put your faith in God and that moment of salvation happens, you have eternal life. You are born again. You are living forever. It's a wonderful truth. But sanctification, the process of being made more like Jesus on this earth, is a process that takes place over time. And we must confess our sins daily to maintain a close relationship with God. It's like this. You have children. <clears throat> uh, and if you don't have children, many of you will. Your child, once they're your child, they're always your child, but they have to decide whether they want to be a good child or a bad child. They decide if they want to pursue a relationship with you or not. They decide if they want to listen to you and honor you or if they want to reject you. And a child that is pursuing a relationship with, with a parent or a, a person pursuing a relationship with anyone, as soon as you realize there's a sin that comes between that relationship, what you want to do is confess it. You want to say, look, I, I acknowledge what I did. I, I sinned against you. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry, but I'm sorry. It's not how I want to treat you. And that process restores the relationship, doesn't it? But, and we've done a lot of marriage counseling over the years and a lot of relation counseling. The sins pile up over time. That's bad for a relationship, isn't it? A little transgression, a word here, a thought there, a disrespect there builds up over time the gap between you gets wider and wider the same things happen spiritually there may be someone listening today that you feel so far away from god i mean you believe you're saved but you feel so far away from god and it might be because you're not practicing this daily asking for forgiveness this daily confession of sin lord i'm sorry lord i shouldn't have said that lord i shouldn't have thought that man lord i shouldn't have gone there man, i shouldn't have done that that constant making sure there's nothing between us and God, nothing between our soul and the Savior, the song says. And so we want to make sure that anytime something comes between us and God, we acknowledge it, we confess it, and we move it out of the way. And that helps us stay close to God. 
Confession of sin includes three vital elements, and I'll end this, this topic with this. Confession means to agree with God that the action is a sin. Don't say foolish things like, well, that's not what that verse means, or I don't believe that's wrong. I was looking over some notes recently from an old counseling session, <coughs> and um, I came across a statement in counseling. A lot of times I'll write statements and, and thoughts that the Lord wants me to come back to later or continue working with that person. And this person, I, she, she had a problem in her life, and I was trying to work with her on it. And I was showing her Bible verses, and she, she made this statement. I wrote it down in big quotes. It doesn't matter how many verses you show me, I don't believe that. Imagine that thought. And is there any wonder that according to my knowledge, that person's not even in church today? It doesn't matter how many verses you show me. Boy, if you get that attitude, you're a goner. That's rebellion, stubbornness. And so we all have to agree with God. Uh, Confession is just, God, you said it's wrong. I agree with you. Number two, confession is own the sin is yours. Don't play the blame game. Don't try to weasel out of it. Don't make excuses. Claim your sin. Why? Why should we claim our sin? Because when you take the blame, God takes the guilt. That's a good statement. Some of you are still feeling guilty over something you did a long time ago, but because you're still blaming everybody else. Take the blame, and God takes the guilt. And then thirdly, confession of sin means admit your sin to God. It's not just the acknowledgement of it. It's telling God that you sinned. Yes, he already knows, but he wants to hear you say it. It is cleansing for you when you say, God, I sinned, and I'm sorry. By the way, it's cleansing for you whenever you do that with other people. Don't have this attitude, I just never apologize. Well, you're going to be carrying around an awful lot of baggage. When you do wrong, admit it, confess it, forsake it, move on. Amen? Number three, sin should be cleansed. Turn back to Psalm 51. Is this helping you? Psalm 51. What should we do with our sin? It should be acknowledged. It should be confessed. Number three, it should be cleansed. Look back at Psalm 51. If you're there, say amen. The scripture says in verse 2, Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Here we see David desiring to be washed and cleansed from his sin. He wanted to be forgiven, but more than forgiven, he wanted to be cleansed. Here's an important thought. Some of you know you're forgiven, but you still feel dirty. And this is a trick of the devil. Sin is dirty. It's filthy. It's vile. It soils the spirit and stains the conscience. But when you get forgiven, God also cleanses you. You don't have to feel dirty if you're forgiven. And that's life-changing. 
Cleanse means to purify, to purge, or to make clean. And there's only one way to get clean from sin, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Great verse, again, one that you should write down and memorize. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, that's red, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This speaks as the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. His precious blood reaches deeper than the stain of sin and makes us white as snow. And a full salvation is the reward of simple faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Only the blood of Jesus Christ is the hope of salvation for sinners and only His blood can cleanse us. The same blood that saves us from eternal damnation is the cleansing agent that keeps us in unbroken fellowship with God. Turn back to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, I know we're going back here, but I'm giving you these thoughts in a, in a logical progression. And some of these thoughts are combined in specific portions of Scripture, but I want to lay it out line upon line, precept upon precept, so it's easy for us to understand. So sin must be acknowledged, <clears throat> sin must be confessed, and sin must be cleansed. <clears throat> Look at 1 John chapter 1, and let's begin reading in verse 3. <clears throat> that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So fellowship is communion. It's a close, unbroken relationship. So the Bible says we as Christians have fellowship together. And we have fellowship because we have fellowship with the Father and Son. And it's that age-old adage that if your vertical relationship with God is right, your horizontal relationship with people can be right. But if you're not right with God, you're going to have a hard time getting along with people. All right, look at verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That's powerful because if you want to have a joyful life, get your relationship with God right and surround yourself with other people who are right with God. It's a good path to joy. That's why we have church. Amen. Verse 5. This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare we unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Thank God there's no uh, darkness. There's no sin in God. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Well, that's a powerful verse. See, God wants to walk in, in fellowship with His redeemed children, but it's impossible to walk in the light of God when you choose to walk in darkness. And that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It just means your fellowship with God is broken. Just like a child who's walking around the house with a bad attitude. You're, you're, you're still in the house. You're still in the family. But there's a problem. And so the Bible says if you're walking in darkness, don't pretend like you're walking in the light. But it's the blood of Jesus Christ that continually cleanses us 
so we can remain in the light of unbroken fellowship. Look at verse 7. But we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. So this isn't just the one time cleansing of salvation. This is the continual cleansing of confession. We keep short accounts with God. I sin. Something comes between me and God. I confess it. It's forgiven and cleansed. I sin. Something comes between me and God. I confess it. It's forgiven and cleansed. I sin. I don't confess it. I sin. I don't confess it. I sin. I don't confess it. The gap gets bigger as I'm walking over toward the darkness. God is in the light. And the way I come back to the light is to say, whoa, God, I have sinned. I own it. I am sorry. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me again. And I stay in fellowship with God. That's a powerful truth. It's the continual cleansing of confession. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, all of us need that confession. Why? Because we all have sin. Now you see the context of the verse we spoke about earlier. To say that you have no sin means that you're walking into the darkness because you're not accepting the cleansing power of Christ to remain in fellowship because you won't acknowledge and confess your sin. So to say I have no sin is utterly foolish. But... I love verse 9. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. Now, we just learned what confess means. Amen? We admit it. We own it. And we tell it to God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us. To forgive means to let it go. To forgive means to separate the sinner from the penalty. The debt has been paid. But notice it says he's faithful. What does that mean? It means he'll do it every time. He's just. What does that mean? He does it right. So the promise of God that when you confess your sins, you have a full forgiveness and cleansing every single time you come to God and confess your sin. That's good news. You don't have to worry about what kind of mood God's in. How many of you have ever tried to tell someone you're sorry and they weren't in a good mood? You know, I often tell people when I'm counseling people trying to help their relationship, sometimes you get one person right and they want to make it right. Now the other person's crossways. And now they're making it hard for the other person to make it right. Well, I don't know if I accept your apology because this and this and you don't have any idea how bad you hurt me. Learn to accept an apology. Just learn to accept an apology. Don't put demands and make them jump through hoops and and do some penance so you feel better. Learn to accept a humble apology. Because that's what God does every single time. Isn't that good? And then look, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. For the kids help me preach here. But he's right. There's, the sentence doesn't end there, does it? And this is one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture to me. And to cleanse us. And to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. 
See, and this is the beautiful truth. God doesn't just forgive you. He cleans you up. You don't have to walk around feeling dirty. If you are forgiven, you are clean. And that's a life-changing fact. You know what? Sometimes we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, don't we? But you are not more wise than God. You're not more righteous or more holy than God. Your standards are not higher than His. And if God forgives you, then it is sinful pride to not forgive yourself. Every time we confess, we are promised full cleansing and forgiveness. What does it mean to be clean? I heard this story years ago, and I've used it many times over the years in soul winning and such. Years ago, a young family with young children was getting ready to go to church on Easter morning. And some of you with young children, you got ready for church this morning. You know how hectic and chaotic that can be, you know. Where's the shoes? Where's this? Where's that? And trying to get everybody together and trying to get them all cleaned up and the hair brushed and combed and get in the car and, and all of that. It, it can be hectic on those mornings. And there, this family had a daughter around five years old, and she was wearing a brand new Easter dress. It was a beautiful white dress with white tights and white shoes, and her hair was done up. And as they were walking out the door, the Kids were going first. Dad was already in the car. Mom's shutting the door behind her. And she tells the young girl, she's got her hands full, kid in one hand, shutting the door with the other, don't walk into mud puddles, go straight to the van. It had rained the night before. And there were mud puddles in the yard. And this little girl intended to obey her mother. But the temptation was just too great. She thought, well, I'll just walk through one mud puddle gently and as she began to step into that mud puddle she let out a yelp as her feet slipped out from under her and she fell down in the mud puddle her new outfit was covered with mud it was even in her blonde hair she got up slowly she's crying loudly muddy water dripping from her face her new outfit ruined And she looked to Mommy and said, I'm sorry, Mommy. Please forgive me. The exhausted mother looked at her lovingly and said, I forgive you. And they all got in the car and went to church. Is that how the story ends? Although the girl was forgiven, but she was still dirty. No, Mom put the other child in the car. Dad was waiting patiently. Mama took her back in changed her clothes, wiped her down, redid her hair, cleaned her all up. They got back in the car and went to church. They got to church late, but they still made it. And you know what? Nobody at church knew that that girl had fallen in a mud puddle. You know why? Because she was clean. This is the beautiful thing about God. He doesn't just forgive us. He cleanses us. There are people sitting here today that if you knew what they did in in their past, you'd blush. But you can't see that, can you? Because they're not just forgiven, they've been cleaned up. And my friend, I love the idea 
that we can be cleansed from our sin. That story is a beautiful illustration of the cleansing power of forgiveness. God not only forgives our sins, but he cleanses us. There's no need for you to feel dirty after you've been forgiven. That will release you from years of turmoil if you'd grab hold of that one truth. What's a Christian to do with sin? Acknowledge it. What's a Christian to do with sin? Confess it. What do we do with sin? We cleanse it through the blood of Christ. And you'll have to come back tonight to get the rest of the sermon. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. I ask you, Lord, that if there's anybody here today that's not sure they're saved, anybody listening that's not sure they're saved, that they'd see their need of you, that they would desire to be clean. Lord, we ask that you would help the Christians. Help us, Lord, to know what to do with our sin. We're all sinners. We all have sin in our lives, and we we ought to hate it, give us a holy hatred for it. We're trying to escape it through the sanctifying power of Christ. But yet, Lord, it's still present. And Lord, help us to know what to do with it. And I pray that your people would be able to draw closer to you because of the truths that we've found in the Bible today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Of course, if you're here this morning, you're not sure you're saved, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. Well, you don't have to stay dirty. You don't have to stay broken. You don't have to stay guilty. Acknowledge it. Confess it. Bring it to Jesus and he'll cleanse it. And if you are saved here this morning, the same thing goes. Don't let things come between you and God. Keep short accounts with God. Confess your sin immediately as it is brought to your mind and heart and then forsake it. We'll learn what that means in the next message.